and welcome to the Food for Thought podcast. I'm your host, Erin Hallstrom. With the world encountering its third year of the coronavirus pandemic, our season three opener has us asking the question, what can we expect from the food and beverage industry in 2022? Food Processing Zone Dave Fusaro and Pandemitrokakis offer their perspective on the big issues facing the industry this year. We talk about labor issues in the supply chain, as well as the why and how inflation came into play. We also talk about what product development trends we can expect to see this year, as well as where things stand with 2021's star categories. Enjoy the episode. But first, we want to know, is there a woman on your team or in your organization that is affecting change and making a big impact for the rest of the company? Consider nominating her for Food Processing's Influential Women in Food. In 2022, Food Processing will be honoring women moving the needle forward for the food and beverage industry. Through peer-submitted nominations, we'll select a group of women who best illustrate what it means to be an influential woman in the food and beverage industry. But it all starts with you. Head to foodprocessing.com to learn more. Dave, Pan, welcome back to the podcast. It's always great to have you both on, especially with this being our season three opener. How are you both doing? Just great. Good. Fantastic. Always my favorite two people to talk to for the Food for Thought podcast. So I want to kick things off with this episode talking about something that took a huge turn in 2021, the supply chain. Pan, from your perspective, What do you think is behind the supply chain issues that the industry has been struggling with? Well, they certainly are widespread, and they reach pretty much every part of the supply chain uh, from uh, the ingredients and equipment that um, processors need to to the chain that uh, leads to getting their products out to the stores. Um, But if I... um, if I had to settle on one supply chain-related takeaway from what we've been seeing, uh, it's that the, um, the pandemic exposed the vulnerability of the just-in-time model. Uh, you see, just-in-time is great uh, in terms of efficiency uh, when demand is more or less predictable and there's a, a framework you can work within. <clears throat> but... Um, But the pandemic has shown us that when um, demand swings uh, uh, very markedly between channels, then uh, the the just-in-time system is really not set up to accommodate that. And so I think that going forward, we're going to see some adjustments in that model where we build a little more redundancy and a little more storage capacity into the supply chain. Now, um, another uh, supply chain issue in certain parts of the food industry has been centralization. Uh, We see this especially in the meat sector. Uh, We all know by now that um, only three or four companies are responsible for processing huge proportions of America's uh, favorite meat proteins. And um, 
this sets up a situation where if um, just one or two or three plants belonging to these mega players uh, go down because of COVID or for whatever reason, uh, then it creates a huge bottleneck in the supply chain. There could be all the beef in the world on the hoof. On one end, there could be hungry consumers on the other end. But because you've got it squeezed by concentration in the middle, um, there's just a, uh, that, that problem getting the supply of meat through. So now, um, the one thing that I think we have to keep in mind is that um, uh, at bottom, I really think that all so-called supply chain issues are labor issues. You know, scratch a supply chain issue and you'll find difficulty in getting people to work. Uh, it's, um, uh, it, it's been seen, of course, all over the food industry uh, in ingredient suppliers, equipment manufacturers, the processors themselves, and especially logistics. Truck drivers are, are in huge demand. And, um, and so uh, I really think that the only way that the supply chain situation will ever straighten itself out, unkink itself, so to speak, is if the labor situation gets resolved. Well, that's a great segue, Pan, because now let's move on and talk about another really big topic that's impacting the food and beverage industry, especially lately, and that's labor issues. So, Pan, from what you're seeing, how have labor relations in the industry changed, and how are they likely to play out in the future? Well, the biggest change that the food industry has seen is the same change that a lot of industries have seen with regard to labor, which is that workers and potential workers have a lot more leverage. They no longer are, they no longer feel like they are uh, forced into uh, certain situations, forced to keep certain jobs uh, just because there were no alternatives available. Well, now there are alternatives and uh, workers are, are feeling their oats. They're, they're, they feel that they have that extra strength, that extra leverage, and they want to use it. And the, um, the most immediate evidence we've seen of that this year has been in labor disruptions, strikes. Uh, three of the biggest companies in the food industry, uh, PepsiCo, uh, Mondelez, and um, Kellogg have seen strikes, and the Kellogg strike is still ongoing. You never used to see strikes in the food industry. I mean, uh, you've seen more strikes this year against major companies than I have in the rest of my 30 years covering the food industry put together. And so um, the Kellogg strike uh, especially will be interested to see how it shakes out because Kellogg is playing hardball. Um, the main point of dispute is a two-tier wage system whereby n newer employees uh, get lower pay and, and worse benefits than established employees. Uh, Kellogg is bound and determined to preserve that and they're going to the mat for it. They're really playing hardball. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Now, more broadly... What I think the industry is going to have to do to resolve its labor problems, uh, at least in the short term, in the immediate future, is raise wages. Manufacturing wages in the, uh, in the food industry, in the U.S. food industry, 
are something like 15% to 20% behind manufacturing wages in, in this country as a whole. Uh, the, the food industry has um, traditionally lagged behind for various reasons, um, and uh, now with the intense labor uh, shortage and the fact that, let's face it, a lot of food factories just aren't very attractive places to work, uh, there's a, a real squeeze on, and uh, probably the only short-term solution that's going to be viable that we'll see is some kind of an increase in wages. So the supply chain and the labor issues of 2021 gave us another term we keep hearing from CPG companies this past year, inflation. What should food companies keep in mind as they try to cope with inflation? Well, it's a juggling act um, because they have to keep ahead of the inflation that they're dealing with in their own uh, expenses. The, the cost of ingredients keeps going up, so does the cost of transportation. Uh, labor, most likely it, uh, it, it will go up even more. Uh, and so they have a balancing act. Um, now, the advantage that they have is that for the first time in a long time, they have the ability to raise prices on their own products. That's something that we really haven't seen for a long time, all the time when inflation was at nearly non-existent levels, uh, food companies sweated over every, literally every single cent in their price points. But now um, companies making their quarterly reports keep saying over and over, we're going to have to raise prices for our products, and the trade customers, the um, retailers, distributors, etc., are accepting it. So now I think that what the food industry has to keep in mind is that, yes, they're able to raise prices. However, they shouldn't overdo it. You know, the temptation, especially after your, your prices have remained stagnant for a long time, is to really take advantage of the situation. However, um, I don't think that that would be a good look, especially uh, for companies who are in highly concentrated markets and are big players in those markets. Uh, so um, companies like uh, Tyson that are doing very well, uh, the smart ones, they won't give themselves excessive rewards like big C-suite bonuses or stock buybacks. Instead, they'll do what Tyson is doing, uh, plowing money into capital expenditures uh, such as new plants, uh, into higher wages, and especially into automation. Uh, Tyson is getting into automation in a big way. They plan to spend half a billion dollars on it next year because they realize that um, automation is a long-term solution to labor problems, especially in um, uh, an industry like meat where there are a lot of unpleasant tasks that have high turnover. So the, uh, the bottom line, as I see it, is that uh, Companies will be able to keep up with inflation, but they shouldn't. They should try to resist the temptation to make a windfall out of it. I want to shift gears and talk about product development for a bit. Dave, it seems like we couldn't go a month in 2021 without someone introducing a hard seltzer. 
Can you talk more about that red, hot, hard seltzer category and how it's going? Well, I'm not sure it's that red hot anymore. Actually, the category probably is still hot, but it's becoming harder and harder to make uh, a profit in that category because there are so many people that got so many companies that got involved in it. Every every Tom, Dick, and PepsiCo decided to launch a, a hard seltzer in the past year. Um, yeah, speaking of PepsiCo, I mean they came out with Hard Mountain Dew. Uh, Coca Cola has Topo Chico hard seltzer. Arizona has Sunrise hard seltzer. Uh, some of the more boutique companies, Spindrift spiked and Sparkling Ice spiked. Grandview Research, as recently as December predicted the market will grow at a compound annual rate of 31% from now till 2028. I don't entirely believe that projection. 31% every year is, is an awful lot. But the category, I think, is still growing. It's just that when you have this many people getting into it, uh, not everybody's going to make a profit. Not everyone's sales are going to increase by 31% every year. And in fact, uh, there's already starting a little bit of a shakeout. Um, uh, as Pan reported at mid-year, uh, Boston Beer Company, which makes uh, Truly, had to dump some of its hard seltzer because it was uh, it was getting past the expiration date. They weren't moving it fast enough. And Coors dropped its Coors Light hard seltzer, although it's still making Vizzy. So the category, probably still doing fine. But uh, there's going to have to be a shakeout for anybody within that category to, to increase sales and, and to be profitable. Well, almost as popular as hard seltzer, plant-based proteins seemed to still be pretty popular. Have you noticed the same thing? Are plant-based proteins still on a roll? It is, uh, I think very similar uh, analogy to hard seltzers they uh they're still growing uh probably not as fast as they used to i mean they've always been with us it's just the, the category got hot and they started making uh burgers out of plant-based proteins in the last couple of years and that's why it became its own category but um yeah, it's cooling off a bit, too. Uh, some of the market research says it's, it, the, the whole category is flattened, but definitely like hard seltzers, just too many people getting into it. Uh, every, every Tom, Dick, and Tyson is making plant-based uh, protein products now. And um, just as an example, uh, Beyond Meat, which uh, forecasts uh, 120 to 140 million in third quarter sales uh, a while back had to ratchet that down to uh, 103 million. And uh, Maple Leaf, Maple Leaf Foods, uh, you know, a big uh, maker of uh, a processor of meats in Canada, uh, their third quarter report, their their meat category, their whole quarter did very well, and their meat category really carried the day. But their plant-based protein group. Uh, actually declined by 6.5%, and, and it's down 12% through uh, nine months of the year. And the, uh, the CEO, the chairman and CEO, uh, president CEO, Michael McCain, said uh, they're going to seriously rethink whether they belong in that whole category. What about cultured meats? Are those still growing? Growing is exactly the word to use because there isn't a category, there isn't a market yet, uh, at least not here in the U.S., although they're apparently serving 
cultured meat in a restaurant in Singapore. But uh, definitely the R&D work is growing, and they are growing cultures in, in different ways, and, and that category really is uh, on a nice growth trajectory. I mean, considering it's a category that hasn't, at least in the U.S., produced a, uh, a consumable product yet. But uh, a lot of things I think are going to happen in 2022. Um, Mosameet uh, is, is, believes they're going to be able to come out with a, a product um, in 2022, um, LF Farms is going to do likewise, and um, uh, Just Eat Just uh, has plans for cultured uh, chicken, at least, in, in the year 2022. They're the ones that are already supplying a uh, restaurant in Singapore with a cultured product. So the technology is growing very nicely, and the price is coming down from the first steak, I think, cost $250,000 uh, for, for most of meat to create, you know, 10 years ago or so. Uh, it's uh, getting close to parity with beef, especially with the price that beef has gone up, but probably will never reach parity, but it's getting close enough to make uh, a lot of people consider uh, when it's available, that they will take the plunge and eat some cultured beef. As we wind down this episode, Dave, I'm curious to hear what product development trends you're noticing and think will continue into 2022. Well, one of them is um, both the word carbs and diets. And some, in a lot of ways, those two things are intertwined. When you start talking about the keto diet or the paleo diet, it's, it's almost synonymous with a reduction in carbs. Um, and carbs extends all the way up to things like sugars. Definitely with the addition of um, the call-out on the Nutrition Facts panel last year of added sugars, people are looking to replace that. Now, they're doing it on the, for the sake of sugars, but overall, it's still part of the carbohydrate line on the Nutrition Facts panel. I don't understand the diets, uh, keto or paleo for that matter, but they certainly seem to have uh, some rabid followers, and, and those are definitely uh, trying to reduce carbs as much as possible. Um, the other things, uh, it would be interesting, you know, we've talked about it for two years now during the pandemic. Will uh, we, We've talked about people's interest in um, immunity-boosting foods or ingredients. Um, I don't think anyone is seeing the uptick that they expect, but it's definitely a, a, an interesting conversation uh, topic. And um, there also seems to be a general mindfulness. It might be the best way, uh, the umbrella term for it, mindfulness. Uh, people are looking where their food comes from, uh, the social causes, uh, diversity and inclusion, and, you know, whether you want to save the planet or you're thinking in terms of your own health, I think people are being a lot more mindful of uh, their purchasing decisions when it comes to food. And cannabis. Cannabis and, and uh, CBD in particular seem to be things that the uh, FDA your um, USDA are planning to deal with in terms of rulemaking uh, in 2022 remains to be seen, and a lot of work needs to be done on those, but they're getting an awful lot of pressure to come up with some type of set of rules where uh, at least CBD can be marketed as a food ingredient, and uh, then it won't be long before THC, uh, uh, 
intoxicating cannabis can be used as a food ingredient as well. Well, as always, a lot of great information. And Dave, Pan, I want to thank you both for joining me for this season three opener of the Food for Thought podcast. As always, it was great to have you on. everyone listening to the Food for Thought podcast today, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk more about the stories behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. Take care. Have a great day.